Welcome to the Profitable Farmer Podcast, where it's all about increasing the profitability of your farm by working smarter, not harder. G'day and welcome once again to Profitable Farmer. Fantastic to have you listening in from wherever you are as we arrive into spring. Um, I'm sitting here, I've just lit the fire and uh, I'm sitting back and really looking forward to this conversation as um, we get the first spring shower coming through. So um, I hope the season is playing out favourably for you wherever you are and that you're uh, looking forward to the turn of the season just as much as I am. So in this conversation. Once again, I've asked Tracy Seacom to join us on Profitable Farmer. Um, I always value and really enjoy these catch-ups and these conversations with Tracy. And I think we've got a topic to explore today that will resonate with so many of you. Just um, before we launch in, a small announcement, well, a big announcement really, as Farm Owners Academy grows, um, we've got we've grown to a team now of 16. And our ability to make an impact now across Australian agriculture um, and across the whole country is so much more achievable and attainable for us. And I'm delighted to announce to you all that Tracy joins us as a director to Farm Owners Academy um, and is on our board of directors now. And we are just so excited to have Tracy join our leadership team and now be very active and contributing um, directly to our growth and our improvement as we grow as a business. So, Tracy, congratulations on that and welcome. Thank you so much, Jeremy. I'm so excited to be a part of something that's so inspirational, so forward-thinking and really making such a huge impact across Australia. And the first time that I was introduced to Farm Owners Academy back in 2017, I jumped in not knowing what I was getting myself into and I look back and I think it's one of those synchronicities that occurs in your life that takes you down a path that really allows you to do something in a way that you could never have imagined. And I'm really grateful for that. And I'm really excited to be part of the leaders team. Thanks, Tracy. And how do you reflect on your journey with farm owners over the years? Oh, it's really exciting. I look back at when I was thrown in the deep end and invited to be a coach and nobody told me that I was taking over from Greg, which was very kind of them because that would have made me very nervous. Um, But when I started talking to the farmers, you know, they're people. So at the end of the day, I know how to work with people and they were getting all the technical information they needed elsewhere and our conversations were very much about business and personal and professional development and realising your full potential, which is what I've been about for years. And the changes that I saw in those farmers in those early days was just so inspiring to me. I remember one of the members said to me, well, I'll give you a go, Tracy, and and see what I think. I'm like, okay then. (laughs) And he probably ended up being one of my biggest advocates because he really started to be very vulnerable and open up about emotions and, you know, the way he thinks. And and I challenged him and we really had such a great relationship and that has just flowed into all of the relationships with the clients that I have now. And I feel like I'm a part of a very special family. Thanks, Tracy. Well, on behalf of that family and and the community of over 400 farming um, husbands and wives and sons and daughters, um, I hope you know just what an impact you have on all of them. And, um, yeah, we're just so proud to have you with us and part of the team. Thank you. Tracy, 
Last time we connected, we spoke on the theme and really important topic of burnout. And here we are arriving into October, and it just happens to be Mental Health Month, um, which is wonderful. I'd just love for your comment on the feedback that you received on the back of your um, our podcast and your writing around that whole conversation of burnout. Yeah, it was really amazing the amount of feedback that came my way. So many people identified with what I was talking about, but also I think that it was really helpful helpful for them to understand the symptoms of burnout and to understand where they are in the stages so that they know what to do about it. And so I think there was relief. I think there was relief to know that they're not the only one, that if we're talking about this, then they're not alone, but also a reason for the way that they're feeling and knowing that there's something that they could do about it. So I think it was a really positive thing to do. It was very well received and farmers, you know, from far and wide really were very vulnerable with me about that and and a few of them have, you know, decided to work with me through the Soul Pleaser program as a result And then there are people that are working with me um, in the Platinum Mastermind as well to get more support. And it's been a wonderful outcome because we're seeing changes very quickly because the first step is awareness. And if you know what's going on and you're willing to open up to do the work to make a difference, you will be surprised how quickly you can start to turn things around. And I think that that gives people hope and they realise that they can change and it's not hopeless and there is help out there for them. I think what was wonderful about that is how people could sort of get a gauge and put a measure to where they are on that as a spectrum and then, you know, it really did give them a ladder out. And I've heard so many stories about people who have acknowledged it and realised it perhaps for the first time and have then gone on and made meaningful change. So thank you for that, Tracy. Yeah, my pleasure. And I think too, for people who are not deeply into burnout, to be able to recognise the very first stage and the early symptoms means that they can continually catch it and get themselves back into the honeymoon phase, shift things and tweak things so that they continue to love their business and enjoy what they're doing instead of accepting the fact that business has to be hard, you have to do things that you don't like, you have to work really hard, that you can completely reinvent yourself continuously so that you continue to love what you do. Perfect. And so this conversation links really closely to that whole uh, narrative around burnout and I think is just as important a conversation and perhaps a real driver of what it is that arrives us to burnout overthinking. So for me, I I reflect on the farmers that I know and how much time perhaps they have to themselves in the paddock um, or on the tractor or whatever it is and how much time they have to think. Um, And I think that there are a lot of um, ladies in agriculture as well who have really active minds. And um, I can relate to this. When I read your article on this just the other day, it um, brought back so many many memories of of a period of my life where I was absolutely overthinking and it had um, real impact and real effect. And so I'm really interested to explore this whole conversation of overthinking with you. Yeah, it's fascinating. As I was saying to you, when I sent out the email blast about my latest Calmness Co Challenge, which I'm running this week, 
I decided to use the word overthinking as the subject line, nothing else, just that word overthinking and a little kind of creased up emoji face. (laughs) And it was just interesting how many replies I got to that email because it obviously struck a chord with a lot of people. A lot of people can relate to the overthinking. And as, as I knew we were going to talk about it today, I reflected back to when I was overthinking back in 2016. And I got to the point where I'd been such a goal setter, such a high achiever, such a, you know, go out there and make it happen and really was very attached to a lot of outcomes. You know, I wanted a lot of things to happen so that I could feel better. And in the end, the overthinking became so loud and so persistent that all I wanted was for that to stop. I just wanted peace of mind. And I see a lot of people who come to me that they've got to that point. It's like, I don't care now. I don't care if if nothing else happens. Please just stop this noise in my mind. Um, And it's very debilitating. And I think the reason that it's linked to burnout is because of the energy that it consumes. It's actually exhausting to be stuck in your head and just going on loop, you know, there are people who I talk to who are going through succession problems, for example, or there is a an issue with a, with a relationship, whether it be within the family or the extended family, or they have a difference of opinion about how to do things in the business, and it consumes them. They're just so focused on the problem that they literally have problem burnout from so much energy going into it. And I think that awareness of that is really important. If anybody watches this and can relate to that, it's that first step of realising, yeah, I am an overthinker. I do rehash things and I'm in my head too much. Why do you think we overthink? I think that we have been trained to think. Um, I think that thinking is natural and it is a great tool that we have. So we have this incredible ability to think And if we do it deliberately, then we can think to our advantage. We can think thoughts that are going to be helpful. But if we don't become conscious and do it deliberately, what can happen is we can end up habitually thinking or thinking on autopilot where we just go down a train of thought that is not helpful. And so the training to the being trained to think is really about, you know, think about it, you know, from our parents or from the teacher, you know, think think what you could do, you know, we're told to think. And thinking constructively and setting aside time to think is actually one of the tools that we teach at retreats because if you don't set aside time to think about something, you will think about it all the time. And you don't actually get anywhere with that because you don't actually structure the thinking and take notes about it. You just loop about it. The other thing about overthinking is that overthinking wouldn't be a problem if the thoughts felt good. You wouldn't care if you were thinking a lot, if you were thinking things that gave a good emotion and they were positive and they were aspirational and they were gratitude and they were, you know, looking forward to what's coming next in a positive way. Overthinking is only a problem when you're actually focused on a problem or what you don't want, or rehashing the past and resenting it, wishing things were different, blaming other people. You know, these are the sort of conversations in the head that feel terrible. And 
because there is a vibration to every thought, just like there's a vibration to every particle in the physical and non-physical universe, it attracts, attracts another thought like it. So you can go down this rabbit warren where you think a negative thought, which attracts another one, attracts another one, and next thing you're just looping and you're down this rabbit hole of woe is me, life is terrible. And it feels really, really bad. And you feel like you can't stop it because it's built so much momentum. Yeah, and it makes sense that it can snowball, that a thought left unchecked can lead to another thought and another thought. And, you know, that snowballing effect, um, again, I can I can relate, but it can have a real impact to the negative um, if those thoughts aren't constructive. Is that fair? Yeah, absolutely. And the good thing about the image of the snowball is to realise that if you caught it early when you'd only just, it just started to roll down the, the hill, you would be able to do something about it. But quite often we've let it gain too much momentum and the snowball has got too big. And then we feel like we can't change it. And that's true. Sometimes you're just going to have to go to bed that night and start again the next morning. A lot of people ask me, you know, they give me scenarios of where they're in an example where they're just feeling so frustrated that they feel like they're just going to blow their top. And they say to me, should I just think nice things? And I said, how does that work out for you? <laughs> they're like, not very well. I said, it's almost impossible to do that. Like once you're there, once you're feeling terrible, it's like asking someone to fly to the moon to say, be grateful or think something positive when they're in that state. So catching it early is really important. And this is where awareness comes in is just having ways to be able to become conscious of your thinking so that you don't just let it run away from you and you can tap in. And the, the tool that you use to be able to be conscious of what you're thinking is actually your emotion. So this is where I've loved working with the farmers, female and males, but particularly males. So males can be out of touch. No offence, Jeremy. <laughs> males, can, males can be out of touch with their emotions, but like tenfold when you make them, when they're a farmer as well. Like it's just like the double whammy <laughs> of what emotions. And I've said this to you before, you know, when I ask one of my male farmers in Soul Pleaser, how did that feel? He'll tell me what he did. <laughs> like, that's not the question. How did you feel? And and it's very hard to talk about emotions because you were coached not to, you were told not to, you know, toughen up, stiff up a lip, boys don't cry. You know, there were some emotions that just weren't acceptable. But as humans, emotions are really important because we cannot track our thoughts. They are too fast and too consistent for us to become aware of our thoughts. You know, it's impossible to say, watch your thoughts and make sure they're always positive because you just can't. It all happens so quickly. But what you can notice is how you feel. And when you start to notice how you feel, then that's your guidance system saying you're thinking something that doesn't feel good. And that's your cue to tune in to see what that thought is so that you can do something about it catch it early and start to pivot it in a different direction. I think your comments spot on, but um, for me anyway, I was taught to suppress my feelings and put on that stiff upper lip and just get on with it. And I do feel like guys are either happy or they're not. 
and when they're not often that turns up as frustration and angry and so we have those two really strong and clear um, bookends of emotions but you asked me to describe anything in between and that doesn't come easily for me and I think for most men where I I do find it amazing that um, our women can unpack and describe the whole spectrum and range of emotions so clearly. Yeah, and I think, you know, everybody's becoming aware of this in professional development and business, that one of the most important things you can develop is your emotional intelligence. Um, Going forward, there are a lot of roles that are going to be done by robots. I mean, really, you know, technology is going to allow many manual things to be done by, you know, this special intelligence that we don't need to do as humans. So it's going to be more important than ever for us to develop emotional intelligence. And emotional intelligence to me is being aware of what you're feeling and being able to control it. And if you wait, like you said, to go to either be happy and by the time you realise you're not happy, you're frustrated or angry, is too late. Like there was there was a range between that and it's being able to catch it earlier so that you can do something about it. But it's also understanding why we get to that angry point and understanding that there is something we can do about that. I think that it's human to think this made me angry. So the, the machine broke down and I'm frustrated, full stop, nothing in between. But in between the machine breaking down and the anger is your belief about that, your perception of that, and then the story that you have about that. And so if you can start to be aware of your patterns and notice, I'm always triggered by this. I get the maddest when this happens. And it's really interesting. There's lots of very similar patterns that I've noticed. Um, For example, a lot of a lot of guys find that, and, and women as well, that if they're hard on themselves and they feel like their self-worth is tied up in things going well, then when things don't go their way or they don't go to plan, that will really trigger them. And sometimes they feel like the emotion is out of proportion to what's actually happened. But the underlying belief is I'm not allowed to make mistakes. I'm not a good farmer or I'm not a good son or I'm not a good husband or whatever. I'm not a good business owner when I don't get it right all the time. And we are our own harshest critic so often. So the feelings that come up when something does break or whatever and then the internal narrative that can play out, it can be really destructive, can't it? Absolutely. And it's really interesting when you start to observe your self-talk and ask yourself where that came from, because it's not natural. It's not our human nature to be hard on ourselves and to treat ourselves worse than we would treat others. A lot of people I work with say that what they say to themselves, they would never say to anybody else. And if we start to be as kind to ourselves as we are to other people, then we would start to see a shift in our behaviours and our shift in our emotions and our responses to what goes on. And the other thing about the overthinking is that there is like a speed to negative thinking. When I think back to getting on a loop, it was like I'd pressed fast forward and and I felt anxious. Like if you think about the feeling of anxiety or nervousness in your gut, it's like 
I don't know what it's like to be on speed, but it's like you've sped everything up, you know, and it's like the, the talking in your head has got faster. And when I started to work on myself to change these things, one of the things I started with was yoga because at the time the idea of meditation just absolutely freaked me out because that was more time to sit there and be in my head. <laughs> so I was like, I hate this, get me out of here. Whereas when I started to do some movement, I realised that the movements were slow, which was the opposite to what I did. I used to always walk fast. I used to clear the dishes up fast. I used to, I just didn't move slowly because I didn't think slowly and I didn't do slowly. And it was like my whole life was a rush. And what that does chemically to your body is it tells the reptile brain you're being chased. You know, you're at threat. So we're just on high alert the whole time. And that's why it's like it's hard to stop because fast thinking, overthinking, cortisol, cortisol shoots up more and more and it's just this vicious vicious cycle. And so I was talking to a girl today who's so addicted to doing that she's come so far that she can now do things to feel better, but it has to be doing. And so, of course, she's injured her knee so that she has to slow down. She said, I know it's my cue to slow down. And I I got her to start. I said, I want you to wash the dishes more slowly. I want you to just start by taking your time. I said, how fast do you wash the dishes? She said, as fast as I can. Get it done as fast as I can. And it's all that personality, you know, that push, work hard, go hard, think a lot, think fast. And so, yeah, there's this real link between doing things quickly, pushing, taking lots of action, thinking a lot. And it's the peacefulness and the calmness that we're looking for that can slow that down so that you can, because if you think about um, if you're going in one direction, let's call that negative thought, and you want to go in the opposite direction and that's positive thought, you have to slow down before you can turn around and change directions. And so people want to go from this fast momentum straight to more positive thinking, but you have to do the slow down first and slow the mind and then you can turn around and start to look towards the positive. I see. How do we make that transition and how do we slow down the overthinking and come back and find a a sense of calm and um, a state of more controlled thought? I think that it all starts with having a big enough reason. So we talk about this in business as well, because if you're getting away with it, you will just, you just won't stick to any sort of change because you won't have a big enough why. And that's why I reflect on how in the end, I just wanted peace of mind. But if you're still at that stage where you're so driven to reach your goals and you still really believe that the only way I'm going to reach my goals is to stay very, very active, taking lots of action, being busy in my mind, then that won't be enough. So I want to give you more incentive to be able to slow your mind, to realise that a negative spiral of thinking is actually blocking it's the resistance to the inspiration. You're, you're just one idea away from 10 times in your business. You know, like you can make incredible changes very quickly um, in your business, in your relationships, in your health with one idea that you follow through with. And that inspiration cannot get through when you're overthinking. 
So I would start there. I would start with what is your most important priority right now? And there is nothing wrong with what your answer is. You know, the girl I was working with this afternoon, she said, it is financial freedom. And that is why she's working so hard and doesn't take a break because in her mind, that's the only way she'll get there. And so now I know what I'm working with. And so I can explain to her, well, how would you feel if you were emotional, you know, if you had financial freedom? And she said, I'd feel relaxed and chilled and free. And I said, and how does that compare with now? And she's like, well, that's the opposite. And so if you can just understand that there is one idea waiting for you, but you have to let it in. And so whatever it is, it don't make it wrong, but realise that for you to get there, that's the first step is to acknowledge that. And then to know that anybody can do it. I meet so many people who think that this is just the way they are. They've labelled themselves. And I want to say to anybody who watches this or listens to it, there is nothing wrong with you. I, I had a girl cry when I said that to her just before we started the Karmas Co Challenge because she just thought there was something wrong with her and she could never change that. And I, and I really got teary myself because I realised I did too. I, I used to look at my husband who's naturally calm and naturally relaxed and naturally optimistic and I just thought I was cursed. <laughs> I just inherited this way of being in my head and negatively looping. And so I want to say to anybody who thinks that, that the second step is to understand that everybody can change, every single person can change. The third thing is to start small. So it's just one step. It's just taking one very, very small step and consolidating that step and then being ready for the next step. I think that the way that we are taught in school, we get the whole formula. We get the whole chapter. You know, whatever subject it is, we get it all at once. And I don't think life works that way. I think that if we are relaxed and happy and confident that what we want is coming to us, that we get breadcrumbs, we get the next logical step. And if we just can accept that and not have to know the whole story and just trust that first step and take it, then that's when it becomes a relaxing process to actually implement change. Thank you, Tracy. And so then the process of slowing it all down, does, does med- you mentioned yoga, but meditation, what other practices would you have people turn to to slow down the speed of thought so that they can change direction? I think at first you probably want to do a clean out of your life, like a detox of your life. So like we do with a wardrobe, we go through and throw out the clothes we don't use anymore or wear anymore. So if you can think of that in terms of what you're doing in your life, you can sort of track all the things that you do on a regular basis and ask yourself why you do them, because you've got to create space. Probably one of the biggest blocks or the biggest um, rebuttals to even introducing mindfulness is I don't have time. I've got too much to do. I'm too busy. So 
if you're going to make space, then the first thing that you'll need to do is learn to say no to something. And this can be huge for people because we value community and we value supporting others um, and we value sticking to our word. So we might have said yes to being on a committee 10 years ago and so much has changed in that 10 years and it just doesn't work for us anymore. And we are suffering, our family is suffering, we're compromising so many things because we feel too guilty to say no to whatever that commitment is. And also just saying no to things that we know deep down don't serve us anymore and we just keep doing them out of habit. So it's a chance to really analyse and look at your life and check in and ask yourself, is this good for me? Do I enjoy this? Does this feel good? You know, do I absolutely need to keep doing this? Because if you can create a little bit of space then before you go and fill it with something else, because that's what you'll automatically do. When you create a vacuum, the vacuum will suck something in. So what I would say is that you want to create, you want to fill that space where you do something for no other reason but just for the fun of it. And that was such a foreign concept to me just in 2016, not that long ago. That was like, well, that's a waste of time. <laughs> why would you do that? You know, if there's not an outcome, why would you do that, you know? And it sounds ridiculous when I say it out loud now, but a lot of people still live their lives like that. There is an intention and a purpose behind everything and it's all going to that goal and we're waiting to be happy. We're waiting until we reach some inevitable milestone before we can be happy rather than being happy now. And so make some space to just chill, to just feel good, in whatever way works for you because we're just so unique. We're just so unique in terms of what it is that feels good. And if you've been like this for a long time, you may have forgotten. And so I quite often work with people and talk about what did you like when you were a kid? Like before you had all these responsibilities, what was fun for you? And, you know, some people, you know, end up going for a ride on their motorbike or, you know, go fishing or catch up with a mate or the things that they've let go of because they think they don't have time for them and they don't think they're a priority. Yeah. What do you do, Tracy? Well, all right, my absolute priority in the morning is to meditate and walk along the beach. So that's so non-negotiable and I will push all my appointments back so that that can happen first. And then that just feeds into everything I do. And then there's so many things I, I love as well. Like I love going out to a restaurant with friends. I love um, shopping. I love um, just hanging out with the dogs. Um, oh, there's a million things. And, in fact, when you start to notice what you love, you start to love more things. That is, that's what I've realised because when I first asked myself this question, I was like, I don't know. <laughs> which was very sad to think that I didn't know. I was like um, walking, but back then my intention for walking was absolutely about keeping fit and exercise. So it was very different, the mentality behind the walking. And um, working, I was like, I like working, but there was, you know, although I liked it, there was a real push energy behind it. But now I can honestly say I show up to this for the fun of it. I show up to everything that people might call work for the fun of it, which ties in so much with what you're saying in the Top Producers program about business is a game. I think life is a game and we've forgotten that it's a game. And we play to win, but we play for the fun of it. 
as well. We play a game to enjoy the game. It relates so much to this. I distinctly remember a period of my life, Tracy, where I was um, completely overthinking um, through school and then uni. Um, my mind was so active, I thought I was broken. And um, a lot of it was negative and critical um, and self-doubting. And that feeling of anxiety was always present to a point where when I arrived into corporate finance in Sydney, um, it was overwhelming. And as the external pressure got greater, the narrative in my head, that inner self-talk just amplified. And to your point, it can become so exhausting and so fatiguing. Um, I went and saw a psychologist at the time because I, I was at breaking point um, and I was 25 and probably in a position in, that, in the bank that was more senior than I probably had the bandwidth to handle. Um, and it all just got too much. Um, the psychologist that I saw, I'll, I'll never forget her, Francesca, she was absolutely amazing. And she gave me this article and I read it and it helped me understand that there are nine types of thoughts that we can have that um, can sabotage our own self-esteem. And it was the most profound article and I read it and I pulled out a journal and I just started writing down all of the self-talk that was going on in my mind all the things I was saying about myself that wasn't serving and wasn't constructive. And I got it on paper and I took those thoughts back in because that's what this article had me do. And she literally got nine buckets and I had to put all of these on a post-it note and put them in the buckets. And, you know, the nine types of thoughts, I wouldn't mind sharing them if I could. The, the negative self-talk where we're negatively comparing ourselves to others is a huge one. And I, that was key for me. I was constantly comparing myself negatively to everyone around me. Um, Globalisation, so that if you if you suck at one thing, you suck at everything. Yeah. Polarised thinking was another one where you take everything to the extreme. Um, there were, I won't go through them all, but they are amazing to think that they're and she called them distorted thoughts, cognitive distortions. So they're thoughts that aren't real, that are playing on subconsciously in our mind. And these were having really negative effect. Um, with those buckets and having journaled them and got them all down, then I got to sit with the each individual bucket. And let's say it was the negative comparison bucket. And I went through and read all my notes about what I was saying about myself relative to others, and none of them were true. She helped me see that they were all just false, um, negative inner thoughts that weren't serving me. So I guess what I'm alluding to, I feel really passionate about this because so many of those critical inner thoughts that we have, if we leave them unchecked, they can destroy us. They can bring us completely unstuck. And I absolutely get how they can arrive people to burn out and take up so much energy. The awareness that I got around that and then the practices that I put in place to move to a place of calm um, contentment and now um, I play life very simply, very steadily, um, I try and be present where I can. And, and those practices that you talk about, I, I just love going for a barefoot walk. Yeah. And I love 
the golf course. And there are some things that I do to consciously slow down a lot of the time because deep down there's that anxious self-critic there um, wanting to, you know, check in and take back the reins, if you like. So yeah, I just find such, this topic so a, interesting. Yeah, that's such a good point because um, I would say that I've been feeling amazing now for quite a long time, like quite a few years actually. Mm-hmm. And my dad died on the 11th of July and on the 18th of June when he fell over and hit his head, the anxiety came back. So I was able in my mind to be able to rationalise everything that, you know, yes, the fall was unexpected, but dad dying was not unexpected. It's been coming for a long time. And I could rationalise, but the anxiety came back and it was like memory, like muscle memory It was that was in my stomach um, as soon as he fell and I started to not sleep and It was so great for me to experience that so recently because I work with so many people who have anxiety. So there I was talking to someone who has anxiety and I'm sitting there going, yes, I know what you mean because it's in my stomach right now. I can feel it right now. And interestingly, the way that I overcame this last one is I actually did seek help. And I know all the tools, I teach everybody else, but I want everyone to know that it's okay to ask for help. I think it's really important all the time, but while we're shining a light on it during October, mental health, is that it's okay to not be okay and it's okay to ask for help. And so I went to the lady who saw me after my mum died, actually, and she's a physiotherapist who specialises in craniosacral therapy, and she did... She asked me some questions. I cried. She did a few little techniques on me from a physical point of view. And within within two days, I was back. And it was like, you know, our body is amazing. It's incredible. And it can hold on to emotions, like physically hold on to emotions. And, and, you know, no amount of positive self-talk was going to shift it. I needed to go to that next level. So I think just being really open to what's out there, you will be inspired to find the solution for you if you're if you're aware of it and know that it's possible to get help and to change. You mentioned feelings being a great place to go to um, instead of the the active and constant thought. And my time with my spiritual coach, Dig, who I have interviewed on this podcast recently, he's taught me to really feel into um my body and feel into different emotions and as you say if there are no such thing as positive or negative emotions they're just emotions and he's taught me to sit with the feeling and to feel into it and if you stay with it it can be pretty amazing what happens and what can play out from there and the the joy and the peace of mind that can come on the other side of just being present with what the feeling is that is there. Yeah, it's such a good technique actually for calming the mind. So if you're really stuck in the head, one of the best things you can do is to take your attention into your body. So it depends on the person what is easiest, but I will take my attention to my hands. And so I'm not looking at them or putting them together. I just can feel my hands. I'm aware that my hands are there and it's like a sort of energy or electricity I can feel. Some people it works really well to go into the breath but we we spend so much time trying to avoid an emotion 
that once we actually feel it, we're like, oh, was that all? (laughs) Is that what I've worked so hard to avoid is that emotion? And I feel so relieved. Um, I was speaking to Simon Taylor, who um, you know from the Platinum Mastermind, who's just completed Soul Pleaser, and he said to me that one of the turning points for him was on a QA and a in Soul Pleaser, and he said, you made me cry, <laughs> which I'm famous for. It's not true. <laughs> um, but what I really did was I could see that he was about to have a great shift, like he was going there. And before he shut it down, I asked another question just for him to feel it a little bit more so that it could come up and he could actually feel it and let it go. He felt so much relief and he felt like he let go this angst towards somebody else that he'd been holding on to for so long just by letting an emotion come up that he's probably been holding down for 30 years. So, yeah, emotions are better out than in. Like just let yourself feel it instead of projecting it onto other people, because that's really what triggers are about. Like when you go from happy to angry, really that's a projection of an emotion as as opposed to just expression. Tracy, where does control fit in this? I feel like when we're in logic that there is this construct that we've got to try and create and manufacture our success into the future and we've got to sort of win through logic. Would you mind just speaking to that? Because I think a lot of us are in our heads because we're trying to control the future and try and win intellectually. Oh, that's so true, yeah. Um, So with me, you know, doing a physiotherapy degree and being a physiotherapist and being really science-based, that's just what I knew is that every problem can be solved if I think about it for long enough. Um, And so it's just ridiculous how differently I live my life now because as soon as a problem arises I've got this card on my desk that says I am learning that all problems resolve themselves as soon as a problem arises I say to myself the solution already exists and if I'm focused on the problem I will block the solution so the first thing I do is distract myself from the problem you know obviously if it's not an emergency um, and let it go knowing absolutely trusting that the solution will come and I will either get an idea or it will just solve itself. Like it's just incredible how it will change if you trust that. But by focusing on the problem and staying in our head and trying to make things happen and going down to the absolute letter of taking this action and this action and this action, you may get there, but if I compare the old me to the new me, I went the long way and the hard way. And now it's the flow way, which is easy, fun, and faster. Things, things come more quickly with less effort. So it's, it is, you know, it's challenging to think, oh, how can I give up on that? Because we're just so practiced and that's okay. Like I would just say, if you're listening now and thinking, well, that's easier said than done. Well, yes, you know, you're in the habit of doing one thing, but it's just a habit. And so if you can just start to make space for some relaxation, for some switching off, for some distraction from the thing that you're thinking about all the time, you will just notice incremental change. I see I was um, tired from 12 years of business coaching four years ago and decided that I wanted to take everything that I'd learned and go and find a business to buy. Um, 
so that I could apply all that to one business and one team. And so for about two years, I shrunk my coaching practice back to um, to be able to allow me to go and do due diligence in other companies. And when I look back now, I spent two and a half years doing due diligence on probably, well, I'm going to say 40 or 50 companies to try and find one that could achieve for us what I wanted to achieve into our future. And, of course, nothing ticked the boxes and turned up over that time. And the moment I let go of trying to manufacture my future and trying to strive and intellectually find, that was the moment that I let go and then a text to Robbo and now the perfect project has just arrived to me. And it was, for me, the moment that I stopped trying to manufacture my future and stopped trying to control the outcome um, that everything in my life has changed. Um, so true. And, and we, we're taught never, ever, ever give up. And what I would say is don't give up on the dream but give up on the how. And trust. Just throw an intention out there as a goal that you trust will turn up for you and let the universe conspire in your favour and just trust that when the time is right, it'll turn up for you. Um, to your point, the old me, that was completely foreign to, and it was in that mindset that I was completely in overthinking and the energy and the fatigue was very real. And now it's completely the opposite, as you say. And um, there's real joy in that, isn't there, in, yeah. in letting go of trying to strive and control and manufacture our futures when we can stop and just get present and create time and space and settle and trust. Yeah. And trust is the key because the opposite of that is fear. And I think that's why we try to control things is because we're afraid that if we don't control it, it won't happen. And there are a lot of sayings out there that support that, you know, go and make it happen. Like nothing will happen unless you make it happen, you know. So there's been a lot of motivational um, quotes developed that really give you the idea that it does take all of that control and you do have to manufacture it. Um, but if you just really are very clear on the goal and, you know, just are in love with it, you know, it has to be yours and you just really, it really feels good. There's no ulterior motives or it's not somebody else's goal or you're not doing what you think you should do, then it's for you. You, would, you wouldn't have it if you couldn't have it. You wouldn't have the idea if you couldn't, it couldn't come to fruition. That's what I've realised is that, you know, I was always meant to help people realise their full potential and I didn't know how. I didn't know it was going to be with farmers. How could I know that? <laughs> and I just absolutely love it. So, yeah, if you can just let go of some of the details and just be excited about how they might show up, it's a really great way of thinking. Yeah, absolutely. I think probably 18 years ago I set down an intention with Jane that we wanted to make an impact of significance in regional Australia and I'd forgotten about that and I let it go. Um and here we are. Like, I just think now we're part of a project that is is achieving all of that in a way that I couldn't have comprehended in an industry that I absolutely love. And 
no amount of manufacturing could have achieved that for me. It's just, it is wonderful what turns up when you throw an intention out there and just trust that in its own time and when you're ready, it will turn up. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So in the spirit of Mental Health Month being October, um, two questions for you, Tracy. How can we encourage people perhaps to be a little bit kinder to themselves this month and get the support and the people around them that they might need? And would you mind speaking to the Calmness Code Challenge and what that's about? Because I'd love to direct our listeners to that um, little challenge that you do that has massive impact. Yeah, fantastic. So what I would say is just soothe yourself. So if you can talk to yourself the way that you would talk to a small child who is upset, you you just say words that are soft and kind to make them feel better. And you don't have to solve the problem. You just say things that help them to feel better. And if you could start to speak to yourself like that, when you're frustrated, when you're worried, when you're panicking, when you're regretting, when you're, you know, over rehashing, all of those things, if you can just catch it and go, it's okay, like you're okay. And also just start to believe that you deserve to be happy and start to believe the idea that you can have it all. I think that the biggest limit is that people are afraid that if they stop pushing and stop overthinking that everything might just be taken away from them. Like this is the only way I can hold on to it is I have to hold on tight. So start small with that. Just let go of some really little things first and then you'll see how good it is and then you'll be able to gradually let go of some bigger things. So just be be very kind to yourself that way. Um, Also, let somebody know how you're feeling if you haven't. So if you are struggling and you haven't let anybody know, um, just tell somebody. It's not that they need to know how to fix it. It can be really helpful to just be able to say it out loud and be honest about how you're feeling. We can't assume that people know um, without you telling them. So I encourage you to do that. Um, But the Calmness Co Challenge, I'm really excited to run one in October to line up with Mental Health Month. So we'll be starting the Calmness Co Challenge on the 25th of October. The Calmness Co Challenge started because I thought about meeting people where they're at um, on a similar journey to mine. So where I was burnt out, like stress head, you know, just a bit of a mess really on the inside, looked like I had it together on the outside. And now I have this lovely, calm, relaxing, happy life. And I thought, okay, where do I start? Well, nobody's ready for anything while they're so stuck in their head. It's like you've got to be able to start there. And I thought, okay, let's just start with becoming calm. And then from there, we can start to, you know, reach those goals and and get more and more of your potential realised. So the Calmness Code Challenge um, is through application. Um, I only hold a small group because you actually get me coaching you over seven days. And so when you click on the registration link, the next step is to book in a good fit call with me. So I'll be doing those calls the week before the challenge starts. So make sure you book in the week before, not the week of the challenge so that we talk first. 
I'll find out about why you're interested in the Calmness Code Challenge so that I make sure that I serve you to help you get the result that you're looking for. And then I'll, you know, tell you over the phone how it works. But basically during the challenge, I come into the group for 10 minutes a day with some content and an activity to you, for you to do. You need to allow about 30 minutes a day over the seven days. And then we have a follow-up call the next week so that I can help you to go forward with that and implement those changes ongoing into your life. Perfect, Tracy. And we'll share the details of how to connect with Tracy and get underway on the Calmness Code Challenge in this podcast. So thank you for that, Tracy. And I know that that um, has had a profound effect on so many people and given them the first step and the start on a journey to mindfulness and personal development, which has been positive for so many. Yeah, and I would say, um, because it came up for me today with somebody who was joining the next one saying, oh, I can't meditate. So (laughs) that's okay. For anybody who's thinking I can't meditate, you will be led into the program if you think you can't meditate. (laughs) Perfect. Tracy, I have a question here from one of our farmers who's doing the Calmness Code Challenge, and I'd just love for your comment on this. He says, I've been struggling with what goes on through my mind when I'm out in the paddock by myself. I continually seem to go over things in my mind and often look at the negative at the negatives of others. I can see it and I try to fight it, but I have not yet been able to overcome it and I know it is not good for me or my relationships. I was wondering if you might share some tips that I might try that might help. I already have a morning ritual and journal, although not 100% consistent, that helps a little to get me off to a positive start, but not with all the mind games throughout the day. Anyway, just thought I'd ask. What would you say? I would say that if he could not try to fix it, because that's the loop, is that in the moment he's resisting it by getting frustrated that he can't do anything about it in the moment. So I think it's important to just congratulate himself for the recognition, you know, that awareness and being able to see that it's that it's happening and he knows it um, and to trust that because he has become aware and he's reached out for help, that help is on its way and it will reveal itself because when we are trying to force the solution by talking ourselves out of it while we're in the middle of it, we just get deeper into it. And also when we realise that us being stuck in our head and being negative about other people is impacting other people, to try and let go of the guilt around that because that's just, you know, adding more strength to it to then feel bad about it. So we feel bad and then we feel bad about feeling bad and then we feel bad about the impact of that on other people. And just remember that we're all co-creating. So the people that are in our sphere, um, uh, they are there living their lives and the only thing we can work on is ourselves. And it is an incentive because, yes, we want to be better husbands, you know, we want to be better wives, better dads, better mums, but that change will come from working on you. And so by doing the Calmness Code Challenge, you've taken the first, first step because it's just one step after the other 
And I think that that's the key. If you have too many tips, you don't know where to start. But letting it go, being okay with it, celebrating the fact that you're aware of it. Um, and in the instance when you're out in the paddock and it feels uncomfortable, distract yourself, you know, focus on your job, do something that takes you away from the loop that you've started to get into if you can. Perfect. So in the same way that I'm delighted the Burnout podcast had such an impact on so many, if overthinking is something that you have identified and become aware of that is is real for you, I hope this has been valuable. I can't recommend Tracy's Calmness Code Challenge highly enough. As I say, it's had profound impact on so many of our members. And um, if you are in the paddock or on the tractor or um, around the farm and your mind is so active, um, thoughts are things, just like sticks and stones are things, and they can have a real impact to the positive and equally to the negative. So it's just so important to do what you can to acknowledge them take control of them um, and make positive change towards a more peaceful and calm mental well-being. Tracy, a final comment from you? Um, just that the first step that we do in the Calmness Code Challenge is we look at how being calm would change every area of our lives and absolutely everybody says they are amazed at how much better every aspect of their life would be if they were calmer. So don't underestimate the power of making being calm a priority. What a great way to finish. Tracy. as always, wonderful to connect with you and thank you so much for um, sharing and, and for your direction around this really important topic of overthinking. You're welcome. Thanks, Jeremy.